Uh, I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 17. Uh, so if you've got Bibles, uh, it'd be great if you could get those out and follow along. Uh, up until chapter 2, verse 10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I'm just going to pray as Mike comes up to speak to us. Lord, thanks for this time that you've given us to hear from your word. I pray that we would be uh, focused and have open minds and hearts, and I pray that you'd be with Mike as he speaks to us. Amen. Uh, We're back in the book of Jonah. Please keep Jonah open. That would be really helpful. Uh, I think in our public meetings, as we look carefully at the text, uh, like we did last week, you just see how the text works and you see how God is speaking through his word. Uh, We're in our second talk of three in our book of Jonah. But let's go to the New Testament where Jesus actually compares himself with Jonah. Um, And so... Uh, when in Matthew chapter 12 some of the Pharisees were a bit upset with Jesus, uh, they wanted him to produce a miraculous sign. This is what he said. Uh, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Uh, It's probably the only comparison that I know of that Jesus makes with any of the Old Testament characters. I think um, of Moses and Elijah and all the great ones. Jesus doesn't compare himself with them. He compares himself with Jonah and particularly this event about three days and three nights. And one of the things is we've got to work out what does this mean? What has it got to do with anything? Um, As we talk with our Muslim friends, they might be saying, well, Jesus wasn't in the belly of the fish for 72 hours. Is it the time period that Jesus is comparing himself to? Is it the whole bigger event? What is it that Jesus is comparing himself to? 
particularly right at the end there, he said that one greater than Jonah is he here. And after reading last week, we've got to go, yep, sure, he must be. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah was told to rise up and go to Nineveh. And so he rose up and went down to the belly of a, of a ship and went off to Tarshish. And you've got to, got to, you've got to say, well, Jesus better be the, better, greater than Jonah. Got to be more than that. Today, we're going to look at this comparison a little bit more. And it's, it's important, I guess, just to think about uh, the story again before we build up to what we're doing today. Remember what we did last week? was that we started off by saying that the word of the Lord came. The, the reason why the book of Jonah is in continuity with all the other books in the Old Testament and in continuity in the whole scriptures, whole of scriptures actually, is because God is the one who spoke. The word of the Lord came. And really, there was only, um, it wasn't just any God who spoke, but it was that confession that we found right in the middle of that chiasm that um, Jonah said that he's a Hebrew and he worshipped the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Jonah was spoken to by God, who's the creator of everything, who sustains everything. God speaks. And with that, there were two responses. There was Jonah, who fl- fled from God, went to the, below deck into the belly of the, the, the big boat, or the sailors who actually, in the light of the judgment of God, actually turned to God and confessed him. And I guess, you know, the story could very well finish there. It could be really one of the shortest books in the Bible. In the face of God's judgment, what do you do? You can be like a Jonah and run away, or you could be like the sailors and repent. But the story actually doesn't finish there. The story continues. The scene now shifts from the top of the deck, being thrown overboard, down to the deep of the depths. And so in verse 17, uh, we read, chapter 1, verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish, a great fish, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So we come to the fish, which is probably one of the most well-known things about the book of Jonah, I guess. Um, And I guess lots of people have tried to work out what this fish is. Uh, If you Google Jonah fish or uh, fish swallows man in Google, uh, there's a whole lot of possibilities. Um, in fact, I think there was a, a man by the name of James Bartley um, who was swallowed at the end of the 1800s by a sperm whale or something like that uh, and the, the sperm whale died of constipation and, and the whalers cut it up and out came you know, James Bartley. Uh, I, I think that another story that I saw as I Googled was some uh, Australian who was half swallowed by a shark and somehow reached out, poked the eye of the shark and the shark sort of regurgitated him up. Um, We we get all sorts of explanations for what the fish is that people try to make. In fact, some people would say, no, 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 it's it's not a fish at all. There was a boat called the Great Fish and the Great Fish, the boat, actually picked up Jonah and that's what really happened, actually. You can make up all sorts of things but I think it's fairly pointless, actually, because one of the problems with well, not the problem, one of the things about scriptures is we can only know what's being told to us. And what we're being told is that God provided the fish. It was an act of God. God provided the great fish, a huge fish, and it swallowed Jonah. Sometimes when we search for things with no answers, it's almost like asking the wrong question. 
Uh, for those of you who are thinking of doing a PhD, the hardest thing about a PhD is not doing the PhD, actually. It's working out the right question. The answer's out there, right? Like, as you look at the universe, all the answers are there. You've just got to ask the right question that will unlock things so that the answer comes. Sometimes, when we ask the wrong question, it's almost like asking the question, what colour is the equator? It, it just doesn't work. It, it's the wrong sort of thing to ask. I think better than the question what is the question why. Why did this fish come? What's the significance of this fish? What's going on here? What's God trying to do? Right? We, we got the story, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord who's both the creator and the judge. In the light of the judgment, there were two responses. Jonah fled the crew. Well, they repented. That's what happened. Jonah was thrown overboard. The great fish came. Let's not worry about what the fish is, what sort of fish he is, but why did God do it? What is the reason? And I guess there's really two possibilities here. Is it that God sent the fish to save Jonah? So the fish was actually an act of salvation that kept Jonah safe. Kept Jonah safe in an acidic stomach without oxygen, three days, three nights. Is that what's going on? Or is the fish, the great fish, actually an act of judgment? Now, I'm borrowing a lot from uh, John Woodhouse here, who taught me the Old Testament at um, Bible College, and I think he makes sense of it for me, because I think the, the, the act of the fish was actually an act of judgment. Think about it with me for a moment, and just think about what the sea represented in the Old Testament. We love the sea. We love living by the seaside. We love going to the beach. We love doing all sorts of sea, aqua sort of activities around the place. But in the ancient days, the seas was actually a really scary place. It was a place of chaos. In fact, when you look at the picture in Revelation in chapter 21, the new heavens and new earth, what was the description? John says, here's a new heaven and new earth, and by the way, there's no longer any sea. And you sort of think, I like the northern beaches. I like the sea. But it's, it's sort of a metaphor by saying, you know, the sea is, is not a nice place. It's a place of chaos. The other thing is, when you look about, uh, talk about sea monsters and you look at them in the book of Psalms, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Job, in the book of Revelation, they're all horrible monsters, actually. Uh, these sea creatures weren't meant to be something nice, that they were all angry, horrible, judgment-type things. And if you look back at Jesus' parallel and comparison with him taking on the sign of Jonah, that he was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, I think you're meant to see that this act of being thrown into the sea, being swallowed up by this huge fish, was actually judgment. It was like he was thrown overboard, that was judgment, and he was kept under judgment for those 72 hours, for three days and three nights. That's the idea. As it was with Jonah, so it will be with the Son of Man. And this is going to be your sign. I don't think the parallel is meant to be the, the timing. I don't think the parallel is meant to be the character of Jonah is the character of Jesus. I think the parallel we're meant to read in the sign of Jonah is that as Jonah was judged and kept under judgment, so Jesus was judged and kept under judgment. 
Let's follow with me and explore the text a little bit more because this is where John Woodhouse really helped me with some of the timings and what's going on. Because the next thing that we, we get is the prayer. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, um, we hear that Jonah prayed, which is another surprise, isn't it? Because if you remember the story from last week, when Jonah was asked by the captain of the ship to pray, to pray to his God so that, there might, um, that he might help the ship and the crew and all that sort of stuff, Jonah refused. And you remember after coming up from the, the, the bottom of the boat, um, the other sailors in chapter 1 verse 12 asked him, what can we do? Pray, maybe you should pray. And Jonah refused. But now inside the belly of the fish, at last he prays. And I wonder if you just stop there for a minute... If you were in the belly of the fish, what would you be praying? Okay? You've you, you, you just seen this humongous storm. You've had a chat with the sailors around the board. They reckon you're in trouble. So they threw you overboard, right? And suddenly this great fish swallows you up. What would your prayer be? What would your prayer? And as we heard Jack read it a little bit earlier on, I hope you're a little bit confused. Because the prayer is one of thanksgiving. It's weird. How does that work? How, how, how come, okay, I've been thrown overboard. Okay, turbulent sea, big sea monster munches me. I'm in a stomach full of acid. I pray thanksgiving? How does that work? Well, I think what's going on, and once again helped by John, is that in verse 2, so verse 1, he prays in the belly of the whale, uh, belly of the great fish, and verse 2, I think he's actually looking back to the prayer that he prayed while he was in, um, in the belly of the fish. And so in verse 2 you see there, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. It's a reporting back of what's going on. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. And so I think what's going on is that there's actually a flash forward that's going on. And when he gets vomited out on the beach, it's a reporting back of what's happened. Can I get you just to turn back one page to chapter 1, verse 10? Right? Uh, uh, the translator puts it in brackets this time. So it goes, um, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, This terrified them, the sailors, and they asked, What have you done? Right? Why did they ask that? And then the narrator helps us and puts it in a bracket. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And I think the way that we're meant to read chapter 2 is Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish. Jonah prays this prayer of thanksgiving and we're supposed to ask the question, why did he pray that? What on earth is going on? And I reckon chapter 2 verse 10 ought to be in brackets like it was in chapter 1 verse 10 in brackets. And it should be like, the reason why he prayed this thanksgiving was that the Lord had commanded the fish and it had vomited Jonah out to dry land. Do, do you get what I'm saying here? I think that's a timeline that's going on. Let, let me show it to you by dot points, right? Uh, so I think what's going on is that, that being swallowed in the fish is all about judgment. Jonah was thrown into the ocean. Next thing that happens is that Jonah was swallowed by the fish. That's all verse 17 of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 verse 1, Jonah prays. That's what we hear. And then the next sequential event is actually chapter 2 verse 10. Right? But what we get 
is Jonah praying chapter 2 verses 2 to 9 and we ask the question, okay, why did he do that? And then the writer says, okay, God, the Lord commanded the fish and he was vomited to dry land. Now, I don't think too much hangs on it, but, but it just helps me think through, okay, if the fish is about judgment, what is the sequence of prayer that's going on and what's going on in this prayer? Right? Okay, if you've got questions, ask me afterwards, right? Want clarity? That's important. Okay, let's have a look at the prayer because that's the next thing that we look at. And once again, just to introduce it, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's an incredible prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving that, you know, if you took it out and stuck it in the book of Psalms, you'd go, hmm, it fits there quite well. It's a formula that's fairly well known. But I guess one of the things is you're wondering, why are you praying that in the belly of the fish? Why can you pray that? How can you pray that? Well, we know that he can pray that because of the experience of rescue, being vomited on the dry land. But as we look at the prayer a little bit more carefully, it's structured once again. There's actually two bits of the prayer, verses 2 to 4 and verses 5 to 7, and they really say the same thing, but in reverse order. And then there's a little conclusion in verses 8 to 9. I'll leave that slide up for a little while. So two parts, um, verses 2 to 4, verses 5 to 7 is the second part and there's a bit of a conclusion in verses 8 and 9. Um, and I think the two main parts of the prayer actually the same, the same thing twice, just in reverse. And so the two ends, verse 2 and verses 6 and 7, act like a frame and then the dimensions of the rescue are mentioned in verses 3, 4 and 5. That's how it works. So have a look at the frame with me. The main idea, I think, as you look at the frame is that God listens to my prayer. This is the God who's not just the judge of the earth, not just the God who controls the universe, who can actually bring on the elements of nature in judgment, but he actually hears Jonah's prayer. Verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Right? So down to verse 6, um, uh, halfway through verse 6, But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to, uh, rose to you, to your holy temple. God listens to Jonah's prayers. God, uh, Jonah's prayers reaches to the very throne room of God. And it's so important to, to understand the nature of who God is as you look at Jonah's prayer. As we think about our prayers. Because what we have here is a God who's both able and willing. Both those things are important, aren't they? That you want a God who's not impotent but able to do what you ask. And you don't want a God who doesn't listen to you, who's able but is unwilling. Let me illustrate that. Um, both ability and willingness are important. Right? Uh, Bill Gates is still, I think, the richest man in the world. He is able to give me $10 million. So I ring up Bill and say, G'day Bill, can you give me $10 million? Because he's unwilling, he won't, I won't get 10 million bucks. Right? Ability without willingness is a waste of time. I go to my wife, who loves me dearly. This year is going to be our 15th anniversary. Right? We just spent last night, I stitched her ear up because she fell down and, you know, we do lots of things for each other, right? <laughs> She's willing to give me $10 million. But if I go to Sharon and go, Sharon, can you give me $10 million please? She would go, 
I would love to, my darling, but frankly, she won't be able to. We don't have $10 million. She, well, at least I don't think she has $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why it's important. What we're dealing with here is a God who's not just able the creator of the world, the judge of the world, who's able to control the elements of the sky, who's able to control the whole universe and sustains it. But he's a God who listens to Jonah, who's willing to listen to him, that his prayer rises up to the very throne room of God. The next thing that we look at is the dimension of that rescue. God hears our prayers, God listens to Jonah's prayers, but have a look from where he's been rescued. You see that, verse 3? Things that God has inflicted on him, actually. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Uh, when you read that sort of stuff about in the deeps and all that, in the depths and all that sort of stuff in the Psalms, it's a metaphor for the very troubles of life. Here, for Jonah, it's reality. This is the depths of the sea. This is what's going on. It's quite literal. And yet you see that God is in control, that God is in control of the turbulent powers of destruction. God is the one who actually brings judgment and people do fall under God's judgment. And it's from that that he rescues people. I have been banished from your sight, Jonah says in verse 4. It's a disaster of that dimension that Jonah sought and found deliverance. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Same sort of thing in verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And yet God rescued him. That was Jonah's experience. In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. I wonder if you know any of that experience like Jonah's. I'm sure you haven't you know, been drowning in the sea and been swallowed up by the fish. I don't think it's that sort of parallel. But what is your experience that parallels this? You, that you know something of Jonah's experience? As Christians here, maybe you knew, you do know, that one time you were dead to sin. That you were enslaved in it. That you were condemned by God. That by nature you were objects of wrath. You know that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, don't you? That we were by nature objects of wrath. And you knew that sin entangled you. Ever told a lie and you didn't want to admit to it? You've just got to tell more lies to make it sound true, don't you? And, and you get deeper and deeper and deeper and more entangled and enslaved in it. And the words of Ephesians tell us something of Jonah's experience. That at one time we were dead. We're walking around, but we're like zombies actually. Spiritually dead. That we're enslaved. There was nothing that we could do about our state. And that we were condemned. That we were by nature objects of wrath. It's from that depth that Jonah was saved. It's from that depth that for those of you who are Christians here, know the work of our Lord Jesus Christ that we've been saved. One of the best things about that chapter 2 of Ephesians is the word but. This is what you were. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were enslaved, but now you're enthroned. You were condemned, but now you're saved. That's the depth. 
And so the conclusion in verses 8 and 9 is a rather simple contrast actually. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that would be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I think our world is full of people who cling to worthless idols. Not literally. I mean, there are some people who cling literally to idols. Uh, I come from Hong Kong and and in that culture, they're real physical idols that we cling to, that people cling to. But it's not just, you know, the objective idols. I, I wonder what those subjective or metaphorical idols that we cling to. Things that we think would give us hope. Things that only should take the place where God deserves to be. The sort of things that will bring us salvation. The sort of things that will free us. Hey, you know what? The way that we succeed in this world is to get a good HSC mark so that we can get a good university degree, preferably with a vocational uh, exit when you finish university. Then you get a nice professional job. Then you can succeed in life and get your home, get married because you've got some equity behind you and people want to marry you and then have your couple of kids. Is that the way of salvation that you've sold yourself to? That that's a thing that's going to get you out of the trouble of being dead, enslaved, condemned. It's silly, isn't it? It's it's what those sailors did, trying to cling on to their idols and they end up throwing them overboard. It's like them trying to row back towards the shore. It's like trying to empty my basement that gets flooded with a teaspoon. It's ridiculous. Salvation never comes from us. Salvation only belongs to the Lord. That's how it finishes. I I, I do this quite a lot. I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice you. Whatever you vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And one of the illustrations I often give is, you know that really popular verse that even non-Christians know? John 3.16? How does it go? For God so loved the world that he got rid of the Liberal government. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he funded education more. For God so loved the world that he divested investment in coal. Don't get me wrong, they're all good things. Good government education, the way that we treat our planet, they're all right and proper things. But when you see the depth of the problem that Jonah was in, what I have vowed I will make good, salvation comes from the Lord. When you understand that we were once dead, that we were enslaved, that we were condemned, salvation only comes from the Lord. Once again, as we deal with the narrative, there's no didactic teaching point. It's really a matter of imagining the possibilities for ourselves and identifying what character to take. But certainly the word comes true and comes strong, doesn't it? Salvation comes from the Lord. And we see some incredible extremes, actually. This Jewish prophet, this Hebrew, end up being saved by the Lord... 
the sailors who initially rejected God were saved by the Lord. Salvation only comes from our Lord. And I wonder, in our experience, what some of those extremes are. As we talk with some of our friends who seem really nice, you know, they come from the Bible Belt area, they go to church. I wonder sometimes where we think it's their good upbringing that saves them. Or we actually have clear in our head, no, salvation comes from the Lord. At the time of judgment, it's not them going to church, it's not just them having good, uh, nice friends and doing nice things and getting a good job. Salvation comes from the Lord. I wonder in your tute groups when you see people who just don't look like you, they wear different clothes and have piercings in parts of your body that you didn't even know were there. And you're a little bit scared of them actually and you think, well, you know, God can't save people like that. Salvation comes from the Lord. At whatever extremes of life that you look at, the same thing ends up with all groups. They're in desperate trouble and salvation only comes from the Lord. I want to finish back on that comparison between Jesus and Jonah. And what happened to Jonah happened to Jesus. I think the reference isn't a time reference. I don't think it's a character reference. It's a reference to judgment, the awful reality of God's judgment. Of course, the crazy thing is that Jonah deserved what he had coming to him, being swallowed up by the big fish, the huge fish, the great fish. And yet Jesus did nothing deserving being swallowed up in the heart of the earth. It was our sin that put him there. Jonah deserved it. Jesus doesn't. And yet it's still the same God who rescues. You see, uh, the Muslims who tell me uh, Jesus wasn't in the grave for 72 hours, I think, look, you just got the comparison wrong, actually. Numbers have a certain feel to it. You know, uh, uh, from an Asian culture, you you just don't have the the, the, the number four. It it sounds like death, and and so you, you... you know, you don't even want to name that. I think um, Ben Lim, who works for Focus, used to live in 2B Forsyth Avenue in Kalara, right? Like, they wouldn't have two and then four. It just doesn't work. Uh, you, you see um, Asian people driving around with number plate 888, right? Which means fortune. If it's not an Asian person, they probably nicked it, right? Okay? So, <laughs> but numbers have a certain feel. Numbers have a certain feel. And I think the number three, the three days and three nights, has a certain feel about it as well. Remember Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22? It was the third day that God provided an offering substituting for Isaac. In 2 Kings, in chapter 18, in verse, uh, chapter 20, it was on the third day that Hezekiah um, uh, was saved from the onslaught of the northern um, invasion. In Esther chapter 5, it was the third day that Esther went to um, the the king to to rescue her people by pleading to the king. And of course, Hosea chapter 6 is the famous one, isn't it? Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will uh, renew us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. This is all about God's judgment and yet that's not the end. 
It's about salvation. As Jonah was vomited out of the fish after 72 hours, after three days and three nights, Jesus rose again. The tomb was empty. And everything that the Old Testament looked forward to, the salvation, the judgment by a man, that Jesus will be king, that humanity will be restored, that all came true. The sign of Jonah, this story, it's about God's judgment. God's judgment on a man, but not for himself, but for the whole world. And yet death could not hold him. He rose again, conquering all. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story of Jonah. Father, help us to read it and try to understand it again. Help us to be surprised by it. Help us to see how Jesus is the sign of Jonah. Father, there's probably only two prayers prayers that we can pray. We can pray the prayer like Jonah in the belly of the fish, asking you for help. And Father, there are probably people here who need to pray that prayer. And Father, we pray that you'd listen to their cry, that you'll be the God who saves them. And Father, there's some of us here who've experienced that salvation. And so, dear Lord, we, can, we pray that we would be able to pray to you a prayer of thanksgiving, just like Jonah. Thank you so much for hearing us. Thank you so much that you're the God who's willing and able. And Father, on this side of the cross, we know that our prayer can enter the heavenly throne room only through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.